Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. And welcome to Pod's Own Country, the Yorkshire Post political podcast. I'm Rob Parsons, the Yorkshire Post political editor, here for another half an hour or so of political conversation about Yorkshire and the issues that affect it. Our guest today is a great one for anyone who has been following the devolution debate and is interested in who holds the powers to make decisions that affect all of our lives. Jill Morris, the CEO of public affairs agency Devo Connect, will be talking about whether the government is still interested in creating powerful new local leaders and what we might see in Yorkshire. But first, as many listeners will know, June is Pride Month, uh, dedicated to celebrating the LGBTQ plus communities all around the world. Pride is usually celebrated with lots of parades and marches, but with coronavirus and social distancing still in place, things will be a little bit different this year. A lot of events have been postponed or cancelled, but they will continue on things like Zoom, TikTok and other social media. But as well as celebrating our diversity, it's also an opportunity to talk about the issues facing the LGBTQ plus communities and where we need to make progress. Someone I know will have some great insights into this is my colleague Susie Beaver, a news correspondent at the Yorkshire Post who takes a keen interest in reporting on inequalities and social justice. So hi there, Susie. How are you you doing? Hi, I'm good, thank you. How are you? Very good. I'm very good, thank you. So um, this is an area, you know, you've, you've, you've reported on and written about quite a lot and Mm -hmm. what would you say is the biggest issue faced by the LGBTQ plus community at at the moment in in 2021? Um, I definitely feel as though um, and this isn't to downplay any other issues that are faced by the community at the moment but I I do feel that we have a huge elephant in the room in this country at the moment um, and that's in the form of transphobia and it feels like it's the last acceptable or, um, or should I say, maybe accepted form of discrimination. Um, and we can see this in the escalating sort of hate crime reports in recent years. So particularly since 2011. Um, so 10 years ago, um, there were just three hate, and this is in West Yorkshire. So I've been looking at some local police figures. But um, in 2011, there were only three hate crimes reported against trans people in in that year. And that figure last year went up to 218, which doesn't sound like a huge amount, you know, in, in for one year, considering um, how many people there are in West Yorkshire, as an example. But, um, you know, that's, that's still uh, one crime reported sort of every one and a half, two days. Um, and, you know, when you consider as well um, how many people, how few people, sorry, actually report these crimes. So, you know, I spoke to a charity in Sheffield fairly recently, um, like an LGBTQ plus support charity. Um, and they're seeing rising incidents of transgender people who've experienced violence and abuse and harassment. Um, but they told me that only a fraction of these people feel able to actually report it to the police. Um, so, you know, ultimately, a lot of people who are, you know, lucky enough to have, have never experienced real discrimination, um, 
you know, might say, might say otherwise, but um, we, unfortunately, we live in a society still where some people can't walk down the street or go to the supermarket or whatever without being attacked or discriminated against because of who they are. And that's, that's a really sad state of affairs to be in. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of this is, is being enabled and, and some, sometimes even positively encouraged by certain public figures um, who've, you know, built a platform from saying ignorant and hateful things sometimes about marginalised communities like transgender people. And, you know, just because you don't understand something, just because it's something that's beyond your sort of uh, field of understanding, doesn't mean that it's not real. And it doesn't give you the green card to invalidate other people's experiences. Um, and the word woke gets thrown around quite a lot now, and it's become something that's almost weaponized politically. But, um, you know, this isn't about political wokeness or about people's people not being ha- able to have their freedom of speech. This is just about people's basic fundamental right to exist free from prejudice and abuse because of who they are. Yeah, absolutely. And um, you're talking about transphobia there, but do, do you think Britain still uh, has problems with homophobia? And, and, and to what to what extent do you think that's the, that's the case? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Um, you know, obviously, homo- uh, it, it seems something a lot less prevalent than transphobia. Um, but just looking at statistics for our local police forces in Yorkshire, um, hate directed at the just the LGBTQ plus community in general is the second most common aggravating factor after racial hate crimes. Um, so in again, in West Yorkshire as an example, and I've got exa- um, examples for sort of all, all the different areas, but in West Yorkshire, homophobic hate crime has risen almost tenfold since 2011. Now, you know, obviously police will always say, well, that can be put down to there being sort of more awareness and increased victim, uh, increased confidence in victims in reporting. And, you know, in a way it is. Um, But then when you look at last year, when, you know, people were stuck inside for a large portion of the year, you know, during the lockdown, um, recorded hate crimes against... um, against gay, lesbian and bisexual people fell. So obviously it's not all just down to whether people are reporting these crimes or not. A lot of that is to do with them rising in general. Um, and, um, you know, in, so in West Yorkshire, there were 250 homophobic hate crimes in the first three months of last year. Um, that was, you know, obviously before lockdown hit. Um, in Humberside, um, between April 2017 and March last year, there were 577 homophobic hate crimes. Um, and this is this is homophobic hate crimes, not not just, you know, not transphobic. Um, um they're, they're increasing year on year. Uh, in North Yorkshire, there were 139 hate crimes against um, gay, lesbian and transsexual and um, bisexual people, sorry, um, in the year up to March 2020. Um, and the figures I have for South Yorkshire aren't as recent, unfortunately, but they um, only go up to 2019. But they also saw a rise uh, from 77 to 380 incidents in just two years. So it's it's it is everywhere, and we are seeing rising headlines and things like that. I mean, I saw a really disturbing headline on the Liverpool Echo just the other day about um, a spate of homophobic hate crimes in in um, in Merseyside, 
Um, I mean, elsewhere, you know, in the North, GMP saw reports uh, of homophobia, homophobic hate crime, sorry, rise from 423 to 1,231 between 2014 and 2020. So it is it is a very much a prevalent issue. Yeah. And it, I mean, they, those numbers are astonishing, really. And I guess it, it, it provides all the more reason why, uh, you know, Pride Month and Pride events should continue to exist to, mm. so that these issues can be, uh, you know, considered a bit more. I mean, are, are there yeah. still misconceptions about Pride, do you think? And is it is it an important is, is it still an important event for sort of Yorkshire and the wider the wider Absolutely. north? Absolutely, yeah, no, definitely. There's definitely, um, you know, I think the biggest misconception about Pride is over the orange origins of it and and why it exists in the first place. Um, and that that is because first and foremost, it's a protest. You know, a lot of people assume that it's um it's a celebration and a festival, which it is. But, you know, it all started 52 years ago this week when um, members of the LGBTQ plus community rioted following police raids at the Stonewall Inn in Manhattan, which is obviously, you know, known known as the Stonewall riots. Um, uh, and I think a lot, you know, like I said, a lot of people assume that Pride is, is a festival of, of celebration and an excuse for us all to sort of get our... Uh, pride flags out and have you know a great tie which it is and it's fantastic but uh, you know its roots are in decades and centuries of discrimination and you know in an entire community being made to feel invisible and and like you know criminalized um and that you know that is that's something that culminated in a protest over 50 years ago and it's something that is marked still every year this year um and, you know, every Pride Month, there's going to be people who say, oh, you know, where have the celebrations for straight people and cisgender people, which is just so frustrating because this isn't about you. It's not, you know, it's just be glad that you don't need one because ultimately it's a protest for people's right to exist. Um and, you know, in terms of its importance to, to the north of England, I can't stress enough how much of a staple it is, like, not just culturally, but economically as well. At Leeds Pride alone, which is the biggest Pride festival in the UK that is is free for everyone, because Manchester Pride now, you, you, you have to, it's like a ticketed event, but um, Leeds Pride alone um, generates more than £4 million each year, apparently. So I, that was sort of figures that were on the uh, Leeds Council website. Um, Manchester's, which obviously, as we know, is, you know, probably probably the biggest one outside London, I think, in Brighton. But Manchester's, this is in 2016, so five years ago, generated between um, an estimated 19 and 25 million pounds for the city's economy. So, you know, um, I mean, obviously, a lot of things are a lot more important than money. Um, I think ultimately, every every Pride event, you know, even if it's even if it's these massive ones like Leeds and Manchester and Liverpool as well has a really big one. Um, you know, even if it's these huge ones that are sort of almost like tourist attractions now uh, and you have huge like celebrities showing up and you have these big floats with, you know, soap stars on them and things like that and they attract people from all over the country. So even from huge events like that to, you know, these little ones in smaller towns where, um, you know, you just hang a few flags in the centre in the centre of the town and have a few market stores on and things like that. It doesn't matter how big it is or small it is, just the fact that they're there and the council puts them on 
um, is a show of solidarity, I think. And, you know, it shows that our, our differences are welcomed and they're celebrated. And, you know, when you look at those crime, those hate crime figures that I just mentioned earlier, it's so, so important that we still have these mainstream events because they remind people ultimately that they're seen and they're celebrated and, you know, they, they're welcomed here um, because, you know, we need to create an environment where everyone is accepted no matter who they are. Yeah, I think, it, yeah, as you say, it's hugely important that events like Pride continue to exist. So, um, Susie, that is fascinating uh, and really interesting food for thought there. So thank, thank you again. for Thank you again no, for thank that. You. Thank you for having me. No problem at all. And um, now let's uh, hear a bit from our guest this week. It was seven years ago this week that the then Chancellor George Osborne set out his vision for the so-called Northern Powerhouse, which included serious devolution of powers and budgets for any city that wanted to move to a new model of city government. Mr Osborne boasted that this would mean a mayor for Leeds and Manchester with similar powers to those in London. If we fast forward to 2021, uh, the progress towards reaching this aim has been, I think it's fair to say, slow and painful, at least in this part of the world. We now have powers and budgets devolved to metro mayors in South and West Yorkshire, but critics say their powers are nowhere near what's needed to tackle some of our more pressing issues. And also, what about rural North Yorkshire and the Humber, where talks about a devolution deal have barely got off the ground? So someone who may well have some insights into where things are going is my guest today, Jill Morris, who is the CEO of devolution-focused public affairs agency DevoConnect. DevoConnect prides itself on being able to inform, shape and influence the future policy debate. And I think it's fair to say this is an area where there's still some work to do to convince policymakers of the merits of handing powers from the centralised Whitehall system to local leaders. So uh, Jill, welcome to the podcast. Yeah, good to be here, Rob. Good to have you on. So before we start, why don't you just just tell us a little bit about Devo Connect and what it what it does? Well, I think um, the reason we're different and very much a focus on that whole idea that Westminster, where we have the most decentralized sort of centralized government, um, and the whole. Um, range of uh, issues that we've faced over the last uh, couple of years, over seven years, you've seen um, a real shake-up of politics where people have felt left behind. Um, we've had astonishing results just recently, taking us right up to speed to with Chesham and Amersham, um, where politics really matters to people. But we need at this stage, and certainly now, it's been a roller coaster with Brexit, the pandemic. Uh, things have got in the way uh, of a lot of promises that Boris has made in terms of levelling up, build, 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 uh, um, shuffle ready projects. All going a bit quiet, I think, now, because I don't think they expected the pandemic to go. Uh, on so long. So what we do at Devo Connect is basically bang the drum and look at things from a devolved and decentralised lens, use the UK Parliament as far as possible to win cross-party support wherever possible and really join up 
that voice across the north or across the midlands and across devolution centres to say, you know, we can, we do have a strong political voice. Um, and I think, you know, we are unique in what we're, we're doing. Um, and uh, the reason we do that is because you can see the shape of politics today when we have an 80 seat majority it's really important that people don't feel left behind and they do feel that they've got a voice and moreover that there are opportunities real opportunities to remove regional disparities and some of those huge inequalities that we've seen during the um, pandemic pandemic from housing transport and today even on education so uh that's what i sort of do do or that's what we do at devo connect um we bang the drum we hopefully <laughs> make a difference um we're really proud that we're just launching a health devolution paper today in response to the government's uh efforts on integrated care for example so and later this week on social care we will be uh doing our campaign there for a um, a social care people's plan, all of those things, yeah, we bring people together and really ramp up the volume uh, for uh, not just people of Yorkshire, but across hopefully England, but passionate about devolution, because I really do think it's part of the solution. And I think government are missing a trick, particularly on those two hard policy areas, which I've mentioned, like social care, which is, you know, are they having a meeting or not? Um, you know, the, the other emergency apart from recovery is net, net zero and getting there. Lots of different, um, you know, targets across the north of 2050 or sooner, largely sooner in most councils and combined authorities. So how do you scale that up? And then, you know, that whole regional approach um, the difficult things are really, and, and that's what's happened with devolution as well. I think it's been too difficult for government to work out um, what to do with it. So hence, there's no mention of it in the Queen, Queen's speech. And um, the levelling up white paper is, again, causing <laughs> quite a few question marks about what, what levelling up actually means. Um, and so the two hard too hard to, to deal with issues for the government, I think, are coming thick and fast. And I sort of narrow those down to uh, devolution, which I claim is part of the solution to levelling up and, and must be, there must be a more um, decentralised approach to reg regions. Um, uh, social care, huge problem, uh, not going to go away, um, need to do something. And again, it becomes a distraction um, and again, you know, the huge burning deck of getting to, to net zero where we need jobs and skills to get moving again. So they're sort of intertwined, but I think the government's not necessarily looking at a holistic uh, approach to levelling up. And I think yesterday's announcement, um, or not announcement, it's not an announcement at all, it's speculation about the integrated rail plan and northern powerhouse rail is a huge disappointment. Um, but we can talk about that um, till the cows come home. Um, sorry, I've 
no, 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 not at all. I mean, it, it's, it, it, it's, it's, I, think, I guess devolution is one of those areas, isn't it? That uh, you, you could apply to a whole number of different topics. And as you say, Northern Powerhouse Rail, which is a, a story the Yorkshire Post has covered uh, this week in terms of whether the, the Manchester to Leeds leg, uh, which is another thing that was promised by uh, George Osborne, is going to be delivered in the way the government's uh, promised and that you know that has links with devolution because obviously transport for the north the the body that was set up to sort of uh, provide a voice for northern leaders there's a there's a fear that it's being sort of uh, sidetracked as part or sort of uh, marginalized as part of that that process but um i mean when we we write about devolution a lot at the Yorkshire Post, and I, have, I feel like some people when when they when they read about it they roll their eyes a bit and like say oh not 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 again but like but and, and obviously, there's all these wide-ranging issues that the government needs to tackle. What, why is devolution the answer to those questions? Why, why should people care about whether devolution is is happening or, or not happening? Yeah, I think a couple of things there is that um, maybe de- devolution is the wrong word, but we're and it doesn't mean a lot to people. But if you say to them what we're talking about is uh, how you work, live, rest and play, talking about you, your children, your family, making sure that we can have a more regional approach. It means growth um, and it means opportunity and not being left behind. I think it begins to sound a bit more sexy and uh, appealing to people. Um, and so there's a lot of talk at the moment around place um, and there's a lot of uh, talk ar- around place-based regeneration. Uh, one could argue, is that what we're talking about um, when we talk about devolution? But I think it's bigger than that. I think it's that sense of not going back to that dreadful fra- phrase of not being left behind, that it is actually your voice. And Andy Burnham, uh, across the Pennines there, (laughs) certainly used that as his message. And we've seen that, you know, literally almost every day through the pandemic. uh, There is a voice. Um, I talked about banging the drum earlier, but it's that collaboration and convening and being able to have the power to do things differently. And if you get that collective power and that collaboration working across the parties and across the geography, it's enormously, enormously powerful um, when (laughs) you have a government who can basically do what they like um, and at the same time have the biggest problem, biggest economic problem that we have seen in a more than a generation. Uh, this is we the impact of what this pandemic, the impact of the pandemic is yet to be seen. The impact of really of, on of Brexit is yet to be seen because we're just not moving in the way we goods and services and what we want. We're not moving. We haven't seen. We've seen bits and bobs um, that are you know people say oh yes, but you know all those holidays. Um, and the travel and the movement. I mean, people, we haven't seen what's to come. But so why does it matter to you for all those people who did vote for Brexit Brexit or or not? It does mean about taking back control. And it does mean that you have the right 
as you've seen, to really use your voice. And I think tomorrow's generation will be more sort of tuned into that because you can't literally manage a pandemic from Westminster and Whitehall. Um, you can have that central overview, but we've seen time and time again, it makes sense to have a regional plan or a strategy that actually boosts and generates uh, the economy, whether it's a station in Leeds or, you know, um, uh, you know, a port in Liverpool or, or Tees Valley or wherever. All of these things around that getting jobs, get the economy moving, getting infrastructure happening. We've got to make that economic case for Yorkshire, uh, not Yorkshire, but across the north and across England to say, yeah, devolution works. I mean, we saw that in Tees Valley. Um, we saw it literally in Greater Manchester as well. People saw, rightly or wrongly, whatever, Ben Houchin, whatever your political persuasion, they can see quite clearly what a mayor has done. Um, and having an elected mayor is mean has been good for Tees Valley. It's brought jobs. They can see it. They don't need to explain it. And similarly, I think in Greater Manchester, there was a thing saying, well, thank God we've got Andy Burnham. Yeah. So I think once you've got it, it's not a problem. And similarly in London, that's what happened. You know, Ken Livingstone didn't have a lot of power originally. Um, I worked on that bill. But now you can see, you know, nobody questions what they're for. Um, and that sense of regional identity is really important. I yeah. Think. On that on that subject, I mean, you were talking about the Tees Valley uh, mayor and um, uh, other areas as well. And obviously, when George Osborne came up with the idea of uh, you know the Northern Powerhouse being uh, you know supported by these powerful metro mayors, his vision was for city regions, and he spoke about having a mayor for Manchester, a mayor for Leeds. So, do do the same arguments stack up for, say, for example, North Yorkshire, which is obviously, well, it has, a, it has a city in it, city of York, but it's mostly a rural area with the dales and the moors and the coast. Um, like, can can devolution work for areas like, like that? Because obviously in North Yorkshire, there's still a, a live debate going on about exactly who should be making the decisions and, you know, how local government should be, should be organised. But in your view, you know, devolution and is is the answer for North North Yorkshire and areas like it as well? Absolutely, I don't see I I see city the city region. I mean, I've been doing looking at devolution really since John, John Prescott onwards um, in terms of one and two and where we are now and looking at what it might look like in the future. But it, I, I always say when I do talk to people, it's the the things that get in the way of a good Devo deal is geography and politics. I don't see that urban versus rural is a problem. I think it's absolutely when we talk around any issue, really, the urban voice, uh, sorry, the, the uh, rural voice often gets left behind. And it is around growth, but it's a different, you know, whether you're talking about broadband, transport, electric vehicles energy, heat pumps, uh, those issues, how does, how does it, you know, you still need to have that plan or housing for that matter or, or health, how it works rurally and how that connectivity between cities and, um, you know, uh, and other uh, towns and villages 
um, and rural communities, it's really important that you get it right. I think the problem, I mean, you know, I'm sitting here in uh, Cumbria or the south bit of Cumbria, and there's all kinds of potential Devo deals, including, um, uh, you know, south, south, south Lakelands moving across with a bit of Lancashire, and you'll see a lot more of more of that but some of the work we're doing very much on net zero we are looking very much at the the rural impact of of things and again it it's that sense of identity i think you know that cumbrian uh which yorkshire has a great deal deal of but i think it, if it makes sense and that's probably where a lot of it went wrong with uh john prescott's sort of in the rdas isn't it not necessarily the RDAs, but that feeling of do they actually identify uh, in that geography? Um, I think the government's uh, plan, uh, or George Osborne, let's call it George Osborne's plan, um, and who obviously, you know, was a good idea. Um, Still think it is a good idea, whether... Um, you know, and where it goes from here is uh, we we can we can carry on discussing, but I don't think you can say it's only it's just the role of cities in being that algorithm. And I think post pandemic, there's a lots of questions around you know where the focus of economic you know where, where the economic drivers actually are. Yeah. Um, and I hear that all the time. You see it at the Towns Fund, uh, all of those things. And I think it'll be a lot of cherry picking, which exactly is what sort of happened with the Northern Powerhouse Rail. That's the worry that there's a lot of, um, there's going to be a lot of upset from Red Wall and Blue Wall <laughs> conservatives arguing and fighting, uh, you know, and potentially against each other. Whereas actually what we need to do is really get behind those big projects. I was talking to somebody yesterday and just sort of saying, you know, we've just got to move on on HS2 and say it's done. It's happening. Get on with it. There's no point arguing about whether we are or we aren't. We're doing it and it needs to go all the way. Um, and as for Northern Powerhouse Rail, you just, <laughs> you know, uh, there's going to be a, quite a rumpus, um, you know, if we don't, move faster and accelerate what actually needs to be done. Yeah, I think you're, you're 100% right on that. Um, with um, the way, talking about the way that sort of uh, mayors are created and, and, you know, the structures that are set up around them, the Yorkshire Post has campaigned or, well, it, we, we, we've called for a number of years for uh, a, a Yorkshire-wide mayoral authority to be created and you know that was an idea that had a lot of support for quite a while you know with uh, most of the local council leaders in the region were backing it and the cbi and the tuc etc but obviously it never came to pass and now we have these more these uh, deals that are more limited in their geographical scope i mean do you think that there's still potential for bigger for powers to be devolved to uh, bodies that cover a wider area than just West Yorkshire or South Yorkshire or Greater Manchester. I mean, obviously, we have you know things like the NP11 uh, bringing together all the local enterprise partnerships and th- things like that. But and, and and transport for the north as well, I suppose. Like, is, is that is that an idea that could still be developed? Sort of devolution to bigger to bigger wider areas, sort of bigger geographies. 
Yeah, I think I think it's about the scale of the ambition, really. Um, I think um, you can go right down to sort of parish council level, but what I'm talking about is really that place-based re- regeneration, economic growth, and in securing inward investment um, is so important. And if you're working collaboratively, and the idea of the Northern Powerhouse or Midlands engines are not bad ideas. It's just who's in charge of it. And that's an awful lot of geography and an awful lot of power. Um, and politics, again, will get in the way. What happened, I think, on one Yorkshire is it was too big um, for government to basically give uh, power to potentially a Labour uh elected mayor i think that was a real stumbling block plus the politics locally got in the way of everybody you know david cameron said rats in a sack um you know and i know (laughs) that yorkshire is has got a hugely proud heritage and um you know identity but politically it's it doesn't necessarily gel so I think my predictions for, for 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 what will happen, and I think probably I concur with the conversations I've had with conservatives and others over the years. That um, one Yorkshire probably was too big, and you know it's an, a fascinating geography, um, but I think and the politics didn't quite work. There was a lot of willingness, but I do think. The, the idea of having four, you know, south, west, north. Um, I've left one out, east. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah uh, it's not beyond uh, beyond uh, the wit of man. And then to sort of have that sort of collaboration, I mean, we've got, you know, we've got 10 elected mayors now in England and across the you know, six moving, you know, uh, looking at the north as a whole. And you, if, say, Cumbria, other rumours about uh, Lancashire's got plans, uh, has that come together? Warrington and Cheshire, there's been, again, politics gets in the way for, for most of these, all the, the lack of, or, or the, the unitarization, I can never say that word. So that sort of gets in the way, and that goes back to my fear in government on Whitehall that it's all going to be too difficult. Um, whereas actually, it isn't that difficult if you actually use it as um, a real. If you actually sort of move away from, uh, oh, we don't want to give it. We don't want any more Andy Burnhams um, and Steve Rotherhams. Um, we want more Ben Houchins and. Uh, Andy Streets. Um, well, I think what we found uh, is that the potential um, is there, but I think it's more around, you know, growth. And who knows? Certainly in North Yorkshire, you may well get a Conservative mayor, and there's potential to do that. But it's getting the MPs and the collaboration and the local government all on one side and actually saying, we're doing this. For the greater good and the greater economy and to have some control and work together because i think the broader point about devolution it is about how you work together 
uh, and it's not party political and it's not centralised. It is actually thinking about local economies, what makes them tick, what do people want, and it's more responsive. Uh, again, that's a very long answer. No, that's a that's a that's a great answer. I mean, yeah, I agree that it's it's it is about working together, and you know, the, the, there's a lot of talk about what powers mayors have and what powers they don't have, and I think it's agreed that you know this ability to convene people and be a sort of figurehead for their local area and sort of bang the drum in the way that Andy Burnham is and you know Dan Jarvis in South Yorkshire. That's a pretty vital thing going forward. But um well it's a fascinating agenda and I think uh I hope that we'll get answers sooner rather than later on what form it's going to take. Hopefully that will come in the the leveling up uh white paper that we've been promised later this year but we're and and we'll, we'll come back and talk to you again jill about where things stand uh, at that point so um jill morris thank you for speaking to me yeah that's been great rob really good i could as you know <laughs> talk all day about evolution me too me are. too great. it's lovely to have you all thank right. you again bye-bye bye thanks for listening to pods in country I do hope you've enjoyed what you've heard this week and do leave us a review on whichever service you get your podcasts on if you'd like to hear more from us and if you have any ideas for things we ought to be discussing please drop me an email at rob.parsons at jpimedia.co.uk and we'll look forward to seeing you next time thanks bye-bye